sounds from the 70s. So Gary and Rob, episode number two. Which, by the way, Rob, is a lot like our debut episode last week, except instead of the one in front of it, it has a two. That's right, two. Has it been that many? <laughs> <laughs> now I know already what people are thinking is that every time we start the show, we're going to say this is episode whatever or whatever. We're not after today. We are never doing it again. We're just letting you know that this is not the first episode. This is the second. This is not going to become like a Chicago thing where all of a sudden it's episode <laughs> number XV8111 uh, R2D2. No. <laughs> Eventually, we'll find new ways to name numbers. <laughs> By the way, I just... Uh, like, I don't like Chicago for their music, first thing. <laughs> Except for a couple of songs. Really good. I think that first album, come on. Give it uh, first album was good. Plus, the first album was good because it, it was called the Chicago Transit Authority. Mm-hmm. Okay. But then, when any band, I don't care if it's Chicago, even though I just like their music, if, it's, if they're going to start naming, like, all of their albums by numbers, uh then I'm going to hate you. Yeah. And then they should understand that, that I personally am going to hate you because it shows the most total lack of imagination. I'm just going to say that. And it's like, a, it's like when you go to a, if you go to a party or something, especially in the seventies and a guy goes, Hey man, what do you think of like dark side of the moon? Oh man, dark side of the moon. I like metal, but dark side of the moon is such a great Pink Floyd album. Could you imagine two Chicago fans like talking to each other and saying, hey, man, what did you think of album 12? Ooh, 12. I love 12, but 9 was bitching. <laughs> Sounds like a couple of Beethoven <laughs> Oh, I like the 7th Symphony. The 7th Symphony, well, you're a dummy. Hey, uh, I guess what we're saying is the moral of the story is take five minutes and name your album. <laughs> Uh, well, we got off on a tangent. We haven't even started the show. I didn't. Yeah, okay. I didn't. Let's start the show. Oh, you're, you're going to say something about Chicago again and, and and keep on going with this, but we can't. We, we can't. We got a jam packed show today. I'll think of other really things to say about other stuff. Give me some other stuff. Poke me with a stick. Oh, I'm going to poke <laughs> you with a stick very soon. In fact, I'm going to poke you with a stick yeah. right now because after last week, after last week's episode, yeah, I received one. a lot of comments from friends hmm. and non-friends alike. I thought we'd get a lot of comments. Wanting you to be <laughs> gotten the old heave hole. Now, to be honest yeah. with you, I did expect these comments to happen, uh, but I did not expect them to happen to at least the third or fourth show. That sounds almost negative. So it, it was. There was a lot of uh, death threats. <laughs> You got a lot of death threats, by the way, even after the first episode. And I thought you actually did good, which is probably uh, a detriment to my uh, sort of uh, thinking because, uh, yeah, not a lot of people. I, th- there was a huge uh, prison population, though, who thought okay. that you were fantastic. At least I'm a hit with the one particular crowd. That's good. Yeah, they thought that uh, you should uh, you should actually we should actually do a show in the prison and you could stay there for a while. I'm like, like a prisoner, and I think that's how prisoners relate to Yeah, they think you're... Uh, I do impress. <laughs> you're such an outcast from society. You must be one of us. When it comes to being an outcast, I don't play favorites. Now, before we get any more email or stuff about that, technically, I can't actually get rid of Rob. Because oh, we, we signed the contract when we were 19. Uh, which says that golden ticket. He's got a golden ticket because I <laughs> uh, we had a contract saying that any uh, musical venture or showbiz <clears throat> venture that I got into, I would have to bring him along as oh. a partner, or else I would have to give him five hundred million dollars, which is part of the contract. And I've had that. If people say no, that's that's bullshit. I've had this contract checked out by Rob's cousin quite a few times. Who, and Rob's cousin has threatened to go to law school a couple of times, so he knows what he's talking about. He has never gone to law school, but he's the only person I know to know who's actually said that he was thinking about someday maybe going to law school. Oh, that Dewey, he's a good guy. I like Dewey. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a good guy to drink with, isn't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, yeah, I guess. 
And when I every time I present this contract to him, he always says, Hey man, <laughs> hey man, that's one solid contract you have there. So my hands are tied. So unless you have five million dollars, people, I uh you know, Rob's here to stay. So I can think of another contract that will get you out of this contract, but it'll cost you a little money. Contract that will get you out of a contract. Yeah. But you have to sign a contract. There are people who do those sorts of things. So uh, what, what what album do you think we're doing this week? We are doing Step, Step, Step on Toads by Sonny Bono. Oh, no, that's week four. Week four. You're way ahead of the curve on this one. Today we'll be looking at uh, the Rolling Stones album, uh, Some Girls, originally called Some Chicks. Some chicks. And then, because of political pressure, changed to some broads. Was it uh, three cool chicks? Three cool chicks. <laughs> uh, by the way, that was just a joke. In case uh, it was a musical <laughs> in joke. In case somebody asked you on a test or something at school, young folks. Did you know that's before just they told a girls, <laughs> we called three cool chicks. <laughs> no, don't and, say that. Don't laugh. Uh, and you. some broads. No, it was never actually. Uh, that's our little. That's our little stab of humor. I find that sort of thing funny. <laughs> I just. I don't want to fidget with rock and roll history though, because if we're going to say something like that, it's either factual and we'll leave it alone, or it's non-factual and we will tell you right away. Well, if we remember, I sometimes forget. Well, we should tell everybody that we are uh, broadcasting this week, as every week from the. We have to. Third floor from the uh, Winchester building in the downtown metropolis area. And the nicest thing is that Winchester listens to the show. So we oh, he's uh, up there. Say what we like to He's He doesn't like the show, he doesn't like us, and uh, he hardly even likes the check we bring for the rent. <laughs> when he gives me a phone call next week, I'm going to talk to him. <laughs> I wouldn't if I was you, because he he likes you, he dislikes you more, but he really does not like up top Mike. Oh yeah, 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 those two will get along. Yeah, Mike's got a Mike's got a, somewhat of a feminine haircut, and uh, and when uh, when Winchester was in Mister Mister Winchester was in the war, he uh, oh yeah, he didn't he, he he didn't like people with funny haircuts because they didn't last long on the line. No, it was always uh, the short-haired team that won when it came to war. Yeah, the, the long guys. hairs usually got beaten. The long hairs with the feminine haircuts. Yeah, any weird haircuts. <laughs> you don't bring a weird haircut into battle. Uh, by the way, we should mention that uh, our producer again is the mysterious and extremely unlikable uh, Uptown Mike. You'll never meet a man like Uptown Mike. No, he's, you meet him, he is dis disliked for, for more reasons than I can get into right now. Hmm. But uh, he's earned all the dislike, but uh, the, the, we can work on it. Well, I thought we had quite a, quite a lot of stuff for this show, but we're kind of we're zooming through it. I thought I had a jam-packed show here today, and we're kind of zooming through it, and yet we haven't even really done it. No, um, we haven't mentioned which <laughs> album that uh, we're talking about. Oh, yeah, we and did. Some Girls. But we did. Where were you? We just mentioned that three minutes ago. We I called know. it, so we called it, uh, see, now this is where you destroy a joke, because now we have to describe the joke. Remember, because I called it uh, Some Chicks and Some, some Brothers, chicks. and you called it uh, Three Cool Chicks. And uh, <laughs> See, this is why people want you off the show. I'm getting a lot of pressure. Man. How can I remember what happened three minutes ago? Well... Just for my sake, for all the pressure I'm getting to sack you, could you could you try it a little bit? I'll try for a bit, but I'm not gonna try hard. <laughs> no way. You know what? It's uh, okay. Uptown Mike showed me. <laughs> Uptown Mike showed me the watch of how we're doing on the show, and I didn't expect that email time would be this quick. Uh, we might have to talk about some other things also, but you know what? Email. Who are we emailing? It's email time. Okay. And you know the song, I like email, you like email. We all like email. It was a big hit in the 70s. I wrote it. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is our first email read on the air. This is, this is like the cream of the crop because it's the first one out of all the emails. Wow. And it was picked out specifically by Uptown Mike. Because that's the kind of job that we think he can handle he knows without how to, screwing it up. 
He knows how to work those computers. I don't think he knows how to work anything. Uh, it sounds like I'm bitter towards Uptown Mike because I am. <laughs> if uh, anything is earned. Uh, well, Uptown Mike actually picks the emails because we don't want to be bothered with such crap. Uh, we have other things. We have so many things to do to get ready for the show during the week that how can we be bothered, let alone pick the emails, but have to read them? My God, people. <laughs> I'm mostly listening to music all week. We have to listen to music and groove and then decide whether we like the music even though we're grooving to it. And it's... Uh, yes, there's three... Answering emails, and sooner or later you're going to start sending them out, and it's downhill from there. Oh, yeah, and you got to reply to them, which we don't. But if mm -hmm. we did, can you imagine the work? Well, this, yeah, let's give them a kind of reply, a kind of response, but not on the, uh, the internet. Well, this email, the first email on the show ever, is from Justin Bognar of Boise, Idaho. I you, my friend, have been to Boise, Idaho many times. I was there but, years ago. Yeah. What do you what could you could you tell us uh, in many lengthy words what you thought of uh, uh, or think of Boise Idaho? I thought it was a beautiful place with great bass fishing. Uh, I've seen a recall a jungle to the south, and uh, you weren't supposed to go in the water. I remember that. That's Boise. Beautiful place. I wasn't listening, but but I know Boise is already beautiful without having to listen to what you say. So Rob, uh, what uh, what does uh, what does Justin have to say in his uh, what's it what, what is it a question what is it uh, what's 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 Justin got on his little mind? Well, Justin writes, "Hey guys, just wondering if you were planning to have guests on your show." That's the first question for our show. Yeah. That. Yeah. That is the question. That Uptown Mike picked as our big magnum opus first email on the show? Now that I think about what I just read, I'm starting to think maybe he's trying to steer us. That's, that's what he picked for the show. He had all these emails and all, all week to do dick all, excuse my language, and that's the, not nothing against you, Justin. It's a lame question. Well, it's not nothing personal. <laughs> no, I'd like to hear some uh, emails from some of the chicks, but we got uh, Justin here. Uh, so. Well, that's sexist, and I totally disagree with you, even though I agree with you. I totally, for the record, disagree <laughs> with you. I would prefer just as many emails from the men as from the women, and we won't even get to not mark, not even get to the part about the women mailing in pictures because that's <laughs> wrong. No, don't mail in pictures. Um, yeah, we plan on having yeah. guests. So, really? Uh, I don't know. Oh, we're going to have your sisters on, remember? We're going to have your, we're oh. planning on having your sisters on way in the future, maybe around the 50th episode. <laughs> well, I got to warm them up to it. I got to let them know that uh, this thing's serious. I think it'll take good By, the, by the way, we should tell the, uh, the, the people out there, our loyal listeners, who are probably already tuned off today, that your sisters are known as the hens, and mm. they are unbearable. They're kind of like a biker gang without the bikes. And they wear leather, and the leather says, the hens on the back. There's a big oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I get what you mean now. Yeah, but they're not cool like that. Yeah, without the leather. Yeah, without the leather, and without the bikes, and without the... Uh, they're kind of like a gang, but they're a gang yeah. of goody, goody two shoots. <laughs> they got some ideas on how people who are not them could live better. Yeah, well, Valuable yeah. ideas. But yeah, they 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 they, uh, they tell people how to live, and if you don't listen to them, then you're idiots. But we're gonna have them on the show, and uh, so Justin, that's that's just that's just the beginning of all the amazing people we are going to have on the show in the future. We got a lot. We got a lot to do. Before we get to that stage, because I got shows planned for the next six months that are just wang bang doodle full of stuff. I'm waiting. Hold oh, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I I don't know what I just got myself into with that statement, but it's gonna be oh man, it's gonna be good. Unfortunately, wang bang doodle is ill defined. Oh, so Rob, what uh, what do we give Justin because we write his email on the air? Oh, without even knowing, I already know. 
Justin, because your email was right on the air, you win an entire case of rice cakes. Oh, you lucky asshole. I'd call them the sweet, delicious rice cakes, but there's nothing sweet and nothing delicious about them. <laughs> no, we got, uh, we got a whole room here in the Winchester building filled with boxes of rice cakes. And I don't like them, and Rob doesn't like them. And, uh, but I don't want that to turn deter anybody yeah. from writing in emails to us. <laughs> well, the story of how we got them, we'll have to wait for another episode. Yes, and it's not a good story. It's not a funny story. It's not an interesting story. It's just a story it's of a how story. we got stuck with a bunch of rice cakes. Yeah. And now we give them away to you, our loving public. If you want to draw a moral from the story, you go ahead, but I don't see one. There's no moral other than we'd have to get rid of them. <laughs> <laughs> and what better way to get rid of them Done with emails. Emails. We're done. We're done with yeah. emails for this week. I can't wait till next week. Emails. Oh, Mike points out we got a lot. You know, I'm working on the show this week, and I say I don't even know if we can get to all this stuff that I have planned this week because we got so much stuff. Look how many. Look how many things in the script I have. Look, look, look. And it's like, oh man, like. Uh, now you're thinking, how much stuff do we have to come? Now, how was your week, by the way, Rob? You wanted to tell me something about how your week was before we talk about uh, some girls in the Rolling Stones. I think on Thursday I got uh, electrocuted. Uh, Friday I uh, recovered, and uh, here I am today. Okay, so, anyways. I saw a light. Say, what's going on today? What kind of light did you see? Usually I'm not listening, but I did hear the part about the light. It was a bright flash and then blackness. Oh, I, I think that has more to do with the TV you had on probably one of the nights that you fell asleep. Don't fall asleep in the bath while watching TV with your leg wrapped around the cord. Your leg wrapped around what? Not um, my cord, the TV. Oh, thank you. This is a family show. <laughs> We're not going to go blue. Okay, so our album this week, the main focus of our show, which is the album, the 70s, is uh, Some Gears by the Rolling Stones. And just so, uh, let's give some background here. I'm not going to talk about the Rolling Stones. If you, don't, if you don't know about the Rolling Stones, then screw you. Turn off, turn off whatever listening device you're listening to right now. Because you should know about the rock. I shouldn't say that because maybe there's some kids listening who are just trying to who oh, want yeah. to learn who want we to learn about rock music to us. We got to put an age limit on uh, our uh, conditions here. So. Yeah, we don't for the if you're yeah. under 13, mm -hmm. uh, just look up the Rolling Stones on Wikipedia and uh, it'll tell you. But we don't have time <laughs> to to talk about the history of the Rolling Stones. And if you're over 13 and you haven't heard of them, turn us off. <laughs> you're not you're not the kind of people. Um, no talking to some people. The uh, it came at a very interesting time. Again, again, a fascinating story about. Uh, we're going to get to some. We're going to get to some albums in the future that don't have fascinating stories. Cue next week. But uh, so far, we've been very lucky that we've had some very interesting stories. This one, I actually remember when this came out. This came out in 1978 at really about the time that I started really seriously listening to music from everybody because the first year like in 1977 i started listening to music but it was like the beatles all the time because that was the that was that was the one that made me say hey this rock and roll thing is like maybe there's something to it maybe there's something to this that i didn't know before so i spent like all more almost all of 1977 just like beatles 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 solo beatles everything for about a year probably and then um, I, I don't think people realize what it was like in that era when the Rolling Stones released an album, if you didn't live through it, because it was a big moment. Like, the hype, the hype surrounding it was like, oh, this is, you know, the Stones are releasing it, because you didn't, you, the, the older bands, there weren't a lot, lot around anymore. I mean, the Who, the Who in 1978, of course, Keith Moon died. Yeah. And uh, the Who actually even I remember when Who Are You was released, which was their last album with Keith Moon, and uh, not, it did not have a lot of. For some reason, the Who were not on a big projectile at that 
that time. Like they had three years off there, and uh... that that really hurt them. That three years off, they really uh, I don't know. It just it just seemed that when the Who were on more of a and this was completely wrong. In retrospect, what I'm about to say yeah. is wrong, but at the time, the Who were known as not capturing their sound in the studio. And that's the one thing that I remember most about The Who in 1978 was that they were uh, a great live band. But for some reason, they just they just could not transmit their live sound to the studio. And now, in retrospect, probably even just only a couple of years after that, people really were saying, no, we just that was that was not right. Actually, they were. There are actually two bands. There's actually the band that recorded in the studio, The Who, and then there was the live Who. And right. um, and both were completely different. You know, both, you know, Quadrophenia is amazing. And people people at the time thought, wow, this is, they didn't quite do yeah. it. What a way we're talking about The Who when we're supposed to talk about the Rolling Stones. But I guess we got, we got some extra time. It's a comparison. Yeah. We got an extra time. We're comparing them to the Rolling Stones. So we can uh, maybe. But the Who was, uh, you, you talked about the Quadrophenia, right? Quadrophenia. What about the other one of my favorite albums there is two years later, the, the, the Who by Numbers. Love that album. But the only album, the song you ever hear on the, the radio is the Squeezebox. Squeezebox considered a, a disappointment, which is unbelievable. I love that album. Yeah. But considered disappointment, considered at the time another uh, point where the Who just couldn't get it together in the studio, and that has all changed. But I'm serious. That is that is the perception. So the Who album, uh, the Who, oh, Who Are You was not received with a lot of fanfare like a Rolling Stones record was. Rolling Stones was big, and this record, when I was listening weeks and weeks before the the first single was released, which was uh, Miss You, back with on the B-side, Far Away Eyes. Um, everybody was saying, or everybody being the DJ who I listened to at the time, this is all the information you got after 9 o'clock on the, on the radio station. You didn't get much real news back then on the radio during the day. You got all the, you got all the real news at 9 o'clock and, you know, after 9 o'clock at night. And they were saying, best album since Exile on Street. Oh, by far. Because what the Stones would always do was release, let the let the critics hear and the, and the radio programmers and stuff hear the album before they released it, and all the buzz was this is the best album since Exile on Main Street, which actually it was because the Stones got a lot of flack, uh, and even by that time, remember how we talked about how when we were talking about Derek and the Dominoes, yeah. we were talking about how Derek and the Dominoes was received. Um, with very mixed reviews and it was released. Uh, Which is weird. It's like, what were those guys listening to? Exactly. And Exile Ministry got the same, got exactly the same reception. Very mixed. Some people really liked it. Some people thought it was actually just a big sludge of music. But already by 1978, people were recognized. It didn't take long for people to recognize that that was a classic masterpiece of an album. Now, the albums that came after it, the excess of the Rolling Stones took over. Excess can only can only be creative so far. Like it can make albums like Sticky Fingers and, and Exile on Main Street, and, and you can be loaded on coke and alcohol and other things, and be you know you can kind of live off the fumes for a while, but then it catches up to you. And then the albums after that, like Goat's Head Soup and It's Only Rock and Roll. And it's uh, Black and Blue. I really liked the Black and Blue album, but it was really hated at the time it was released. And they all uh, they all suffered from an extreme lack of energy, extreme lack of... Uh... Once you do a thing well and consistently every time, you just get complacent. The, the Japanese called it the victory disease. I would agree with that. Right? I would agree that with that. Is, uh, that's my theory on what that might happen. Well, I would, I we would... can do anything and it'll sell. Yes. And they don't try as hard. I, I just I just think that this this oh man, the drugs were just just too much. <laughs> I mean Goat's Head Soup was was, was most not, notable as being a Mick Jagger album because Keith was just not there. <laughs> Keith kinda of disputes that a little bit these days. But for like forty years 
people uh, kind of judge that album, and I did too when I listened to it. I thought, you know, this is a very Mick Jagger album. There's very little Keith on there, and, and Keith was just out of it. And uh, it shows. There's kind of, it's kind of like Mick and not best, like a lot of Mick and not the best. I'm not a big Mick Jagger fan, to be honest with you folks. Uh, I know a lot of people. I am. I a lot Jagger. of people, like Rob. In fact, most people think Mick Jagger. I think I don't go for the I don't go for the so-called dancing around and stuff. Like no, that. I think he's one of the best character singers of uh, all the other uh, vocalists I've heard. Oh, I'll, I'll take that. I, I I I like his singing when he does like a country song, like uh, "Girl with the Faraway Eyes." He gets into the character and he does it well. No, I I, I agree with that. I. Uh... I agree with the singing part. I think he's, uh, I think he embodies ah. the song. And and you know what? The album we're going to be talking to probably, uh, I've told you this before, but I think it's his greatest singing album because he does, there's so much attitude on this album and yeah. he brings different attitude to every song on this album. He makes this album. Yeah. He does. And I'm not, a, I am a Mick Jagger fan. Don't get me wrong. I'm a Mick Jagger fan. But I'm not one of those people that say, oh, I saw Mick Jagger on so-and-so show when I said that, the rock and roll star. That wasn't a rock and roll star. My, my, and I don't mean, I really don't mean this in a downgrading way, but my rock and roll stars are a little bit more masculine front men like Robert Plant and, and Roger Daltrey. Like they Gene think, Simmons. No, not Gene Simmons. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, but the front man was always... As you know, I'm not. I'm not. As the Hell's Angels said at Altamont, <laughs> about Mick, and I don't mean to be downgrading because this is not my words, but they said, "Why is the guy doing all that fag dancing?" <laughs> now, unfortunately, that was kind of like my opinion. I still do. I, I don't. I, I just don't like it. He moves like Jagger. He moves like Jagger. <laughs> and you know what? I'm like in the five five percent bracket because like ninety five percent people. Of really like that thinking rock and roll. Yeah. I, I don't think it is. I mostly just listen to them. So yeah, okay. I don't see too many live performances. I don't have that to judge him by. But a lot of people criticized uh, even his singing on the albums that followed Exile as maybe not as emotive or as I think the complacency thing that you were talking about. Yeah. There was some. There was a lot of complacency setting in between '72 and '78. And then the, you know what, <laughs> the year of punk, I mean, such huge changes, holy smokes, from, yeah. even from their black and blue album in 76, which was really mixed reviews as being nice, even though it's a really great album. And I always say that every time it's mentioned, I say, but it's a really great <laughs> album. As I heard a few people, that's another one I haven't heard. I heard all the stuff before, most of the stuff before that. It's a really great album. I'm going to say it over and over again because there are still some people. It has been, it has had a revised uh, uh, critical critical analysis over the years. And it is now, it is now a lot more highly regarded than it is. I think it's an excellent album. And uh, But I do understand, you have to sometimes comprehend it, an album in the times that it was made. And the atmosphere yeah. was made in the year what it was made. Compared to everything it, huh? about exactly everything about it uh, constitutes whether an album is successful with people or it's not. And I understand why Black and Blue was not considered a successful album on a critical and a, and and definitely not on a commercial level. But we're not talking about that. We're talking. It was not considered a great Stones album critically. Now it is. Uh, but that's because you're looking at it more from a musical standpoint. The times always, the times that you live in always dictate sometimes yeah. how you view an album. Every generation throws a hero up the pop charts. Man. And if you think I'm rambling, I'm not. Because that's why it leads up to this album, <laughs> which came right after 1977, which was the year of punk, which was a huge year. And then it, it came in the middle of 1978 when new wave music had started, which was also huge. And, such, and, and both, both yeah. movements were great. Both were uh, <laughs> the kind of a, you can't, the splits from traditional rock and roll that uh, we always knew. 
but uh, those are two of the good uh, good uh, genres that were coming along. I mean, yeah, sometimes something comes along. And... There's another genre that had been around for a few years that uh, the Stones experimented with on this album, and uh, they got away with it. Yeah, well, that that brings us up to uh, to the release of the album because we've talked about the times of the album, which was. Everybody wanted the Stones to be grittier, and everybody had heard that the Stones were really rocking out on this album, and uh, and it was really high anticipated. It was like, oh man, this is going to be good. Everybody's saying great things. Oh, and this also comes at a time mm-hmm. when, when Keith Keith Richards was was uh, arrested for heroin in Toronto, and it looked like he was going to spend years in prison. <laughs> this was a really bad time for the Stones, and they really needed an album to not only kick them in the ass a little bit, but to make them relevant again to people because with punk and new wave, they were starting to become irrelevant. Eh? And yeah. so the album, I the, the as usual with albums at that time, almost with anything, but especially with big acts, is that they would release the single, whew, sometimes two months before a record, a lot of times about a, a month before a record. So I remember when when the songs came out, they played both sides of songs all the time, which was Miss You and Faraway Eyes. I love Miss You. I think Miss You. <laughs> when I first heard Miss You, first of all, I didn't hear any of the other disco criticisms yeah. that I still hear nowadays. I I know that there is there is the disco kind of bass and there is the four and the four by Charlie Watts, but it doesn't have a disco attitude to me. No, I'm trying to think of that playing in a disco and uh, people in the bright new clothing dancing to it. I'm just not getting that picture. <laughs> I can see people dancing to it, not getting it. You know what I mean? <laughs> like thinking, well, it's got a good dance. It's got a good like baseline dance beat, but we they're, not getting, dance, the, they're not getting the 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 uh, the kind of attitude of the lyrics and and I just thought it was like, man, I listen to that song all the time because back then. Of course, you had AM radio, and you listen, listen to the song. You could listen to the song like every two hours, and I just thought it was fantastic. I still do, but unfortunately, since I've heard it five million times in the last forty years or whatever, it doesn't quite have the same impact as it does. And of course, they played it at almost every concert since 1978. Yeah. It doesn't. It you never get the freshness that you do when you first hear it that first year. Which I thought it was just—I just thought it was the just incredible—and I thought, man, if this album's going to be like this, was looks. And then I love Faraway Eyes, which is the B-side, because it was funny, and yet it was a very loving ode to country music, because the the uh, the chorus was beautiful. The chorus, the chorus yeah. is sung beautifully, and uh, Keith Richards loved country music, so it was not—it's not a put down of country music. It was more of a a half homage and a half just kind of having some fun. Yeah, and they kind of uh, done experiments like that before. Um, uh, stuff like kind of like Dead Flowers was close. It was uh, moving towards. No, that. actually, actually, that's very similar. That's very similar. But this one was pretty much uh, yeah, full blown country. There was a lot of there was a lot of country influences on Exile Mansion. Well, actually, there was a lot of country influences on Vegas Banquet and Let It Bleed. Not to the not to the not to the amount as I think as Dead Flowers and and uh, Faraway Eyes because they deliberately tried to capture the country sound instead of a country influence. Yeah. And I couldn't wait for the album to release. And when the album was released, I think I, I think I bought it within the at least the first two or three weeks. You have to remember that when you're that young. You have to get the money for it. So yeah. just, just because an album's <laughs> released right away and you want to buy it doesn't mean you can. My weekly allowance would almost cover one album. <laughs> exactly. And they weren't expensive. Of course, they'd be expensive at the time as far as inflation is concerned. They would be about eight bucks. But eight bucks yeah. was a lot of money when you're when yeah. you're not even a teenager. I think about it. I spend pretty much uh, most of my money on albums and not much on anything else. That's <laughs> I joined that club too. <laughs> All my money was saved up to buy albums. And, it was, and if they'd given me more money, uh, I just would have bought more albums. It was like, oh, good, more <laughs> album money. Thank you very much. Just why don't you do this and go do something fun? 
So I bought albums. <laughs> I did buy this album. I bought this album within the first, I think, couple weeks. I was so excited. It was the first Stones album that I bought, uh, which is a big deal when you're a rock and roll fan because that's the first yeah, Stones album you buy when it's released. When it's released, you know what I mean? Yeah. I remember. Yeah. I remember. Love You Live was released the year before, and it had a great cover, Andy Warhol cover. But first of all, it was a double album, and it was a live album, so I wasn't going to buy it because first of all, I didn't have enough money for a double album. And second, I didn't want my first dose of the Stones to be a live album. <laughs> and by the way, Love You Live turned out to be total crap because I did buy it like a year later. And uh, man, I still don't like it. Although it's got that great Alma combo side that they did with the club. But we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> we're not going to get really off off track here. But uh, you say that. <laughs> I say that and then all of a sudden I do. I got to feel the track. What a... What, uh, what a great album. This is actually one of my, I consider this just as right up there with uh, all the all the, 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 the quadruple albums from 68 to 72 that the Stones released. I love this album. I may love it even more than, even though people call this a classic album, I may even love it more than they do. Because <laughs> yeah, maybe it came at a time in my life when I was just really getting into rock and roll and what a great rock and roll album to get into. It does, had such attitude. Oh my God. It does definitely influence uh, how you feel about this or music as uh, your age at the time. The oh yeah. The, the culture. Yeah. That's the strongest impressions of music. I mean, I can hear good songs nowadays and I say, oh yeah, it's a pretty good song, but it doesn't influence me to uh, go and learn more. Unless I hear like uh, three or four different songs, uh, the same name keeps popping up. And it's, okay, wait a second. I might like this person. See, first of all, I don't know how this album would have done if it was released in 1974. Yeah. But and then it's hard to imagine an album being made like this in 1974 because it's almost a new type of album. Like it's almost because it's an it's an amalgamation of Stones, Rebellion, and and kind of like snotty punk music and 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 hard-edged new wave music which they didn't yeah, have they, which they, they, they only had one of those back in 1974 yeah. which was rebellious stones music and, and this so was this, not a solid uh, rock and roll album with the uh, slight influences this was an album with uh, songs that were just a uh, completely different uh, genres which you know after playing the same thing for years you say let's do something different yeah exactly it was and you got the lyrics. Like this is where Mick Jagger shines. The lyrics are great. The singing is just singing is really out of the, It's just it's just out of here. It's just like wild. And it's just like uh, he sings uh, like Miss You. It's like uh, do, 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 do. yeah, it's kind of there. Yeah, but then there's also different. Not only is it different from all the other songs, but also the song itself has different parts to it. It's just, uh, you know, wait so long. And it's yeah. such a great way of singing because you actually feel come um, around with some Puerto Rican girls who just dad to me. Yeah, you. there's parts of the song which have attitude, and then there are parts of the song where he sounds like the lonely guy in the room uh, yeah. waiting for the girls to show up, and he's the kind of figure that you can sympathize with. So there's and all that's conveyed almost in the way he's singing than it is in the lyrics, and it's. And the way he says that, I still believe him. Like the Puerto Rican girls are just damn to meet you. Oh yeah, it's coming from a kind of an effeminate English guy, but I'm telling you, you wouldn't think you that when you're listening to yeah. it. <laughs> you know what I mean? You got <laughs> you gotta see mixing it to be confused. Exactly. I think <laughs> it comes off way better if you're listening to it than if you're watching them. But there's attitude in this whole record. I mean, you got and then you got when the whip comes down, oh, which comes is a down. sadomasochistic song, which again comes off completely credible, um, and it's really hard, hard-ass rock and roll. And then they do the old um, Temptation song, "Just My Imagination Running Away with Me," which is, I think, I even better that. than the original. I love the original. Eddie Kendrick sings the hell out of that song, but this was actually the first time I heard it. And I thought it was downright soulful, but beautiful. You know I thought I mean? that was the one oddball song. It was oddball, probably because they didn't write it. Yeah. And, it and it did, but I thought it blended in quite nicely. <clears throat> it was kind of oddball in that uh, it was it was almost like, what do you call it, Rob? Uh, 
kind of like a, a little pause in what's <laughs> and all the chaos. Yeah. That's good. That's either already happened and going to happen, and it's kind of like okay, it's not a battle by any means. We know, pause but it is for a brief intermission. Yes. <laughs> Even though if you're listening to the first time, you don't know that, but it is. Uh, it has moment. It still has moments of screw you in it, but it also has beautiful singing moments in that. And then, and then we get Some Girls, which is a song. <laughs> now, there's controversy about the song Some Girls and the whole album in general, because the album was called Sexist. Now, I'm going to tell you in, the, in a family-friendly way. I was shocked if there was gutter language. I'm going to talk about in a family-friendly way what Some Girls is about. Some Girls, <laughs> the controversy around Some Girls is that there seemed to be a, a woman of uh, African-American heritage or all African-American heritage. I mean, they, that was, that was, was making, Matt Jagger making a generalization? I'm not going to call it a stereotype. Well, it's, <laughs> I don't know. But the point is, is that he was talking about, uh, <laughs> I, I had this in my head before the show, uh, but because I want, I want to make this clear, is that you're talking about black women wanting to have some nice uh, cuddles <laughs> and, and some the smooching and, uh, and and all that after they watch the movie on the late show. Doing things that grown-ups do. Uh, so just, here. Just, just, just kind of lovey-dovey stuff like that. And then the white man, because he is identified as a white man in the song, uh, just doesn't have the energy. It's been a long day. <laughs> He's been working all day, and it's like, and it's like, love it, love it. I just, I'd rather just go to bed right now. I, all, I love your hugging, and I love you kissing, but I gotta go to bed. <laughs> now, a lot of, a lot of people, and there was not a lot of controversy about things in 1970. Trust me, we lived through it. Uh, political <laughs> correctness was almost. Uh, there was, first of all, there was no. It such had thing. not been born. It had not been born, and if you protested mm -hmm. something mm -hmm. because you thought it was, well, there was no. Those two words didn't exist. But if you thought it was politically incorrect or you were hurt by it, most people just told you to live with it, <laughs> yeah. which is what they should do now. Um, but Jesse Jackson, they actually had a, like uh, Jesse Jackson voiced his opinion in the press, the Reverend Jesse Jackson. I'm going to voice my opinion right after. And he also got people together to, to kind of like have a rally or whatever to say, yeah, uh, we don't like that he got so tired. <laughs> <laughs> why was it, you know, why did he get so tired? Like, uh, and I don't know, why does this black woman want loving so much? She's, if you're with a woman, you have uh, duties to perform. Exactly. Uh, and plus they were, they were critical of uh, saying that the women always want to be cuddled and hugged all the time. When, uh, <laughs> yeah, for some reason, I, which is a nice thing. This drives me nuts, both in music and in TV. Uh, when people get mad at stuff like this, uh, songs and stories have to have characters, and characters are characters because they say things naturally and use the language the way they do, and that's what makes them characters. You take the characters out, you don't have a story. This was a, a character Mick was playing saying these things. If you don't... Well, they're saying, oh, that's Mick Jagger singing is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. they're viewing it as like, well, uh, you should be giving lessons over people how to live and how to be good and right. And when people hear this, they think of being wrong is okay. It's a song. It's just, it's this guy in the song. Can't you draw a line? This is not about teaching the children. No, it's... And, and you, you don't make, go to the Rolling Stones a, to teach your children. You make a very good point especially coming from us, because we are songwriters, <laughs> that almost everything that's, that a songwriter, at least from my point of view, and I know from your point of view, you have your personal things that you say in a song, but you're, it's usually not about you. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, you, you adopt characters, just like not all John, John Steinbeck books, if they have a lead character like, like Tom Jode in The Grapes of Wrath, he's, that's not actually John Steinbeck. <laughs> You know, Neil, but Neil. unfortunately, what for me for a musician, they think yeah. for some reason that they have to be that person. It's just as silly, and people still do it to think when an actor reads uh, lines in a movie that he's that person. He's just reading lines that somebody else wrote. He's playing a character, 
I, you know, Neil Young didn't actually shoot anyone down. <laughs> and if he did, he'd probably serve some jail. <laughs> I would have to assume. I'd be darn surprised. <laughs> so, so, and you know what? Back in those days, he uh, Mick Jagger quickly killed the uh, the uproar over it by simply stating one thing. And again, I will family phrase it for everybody, which is, if you can't take a joke, then take a hike. <laughs> he didn't say it like that. He said the first part like it, but he said the second part a little bit differently. And he was right. He's right then, and he's right nowadays. If you can't take a joke, then take a hike. Don't buy the record, and don't play it to your friends if you don't want them to hear it. Shut up. And you know what? We're as sensitive about things as anybody, but we understand that artistic con control... This is very important to us. Artistic control is the utmost, which means you never get censored. Yeah. The only way you should get censored is if you if you spew out hate for the sake of hate. Other than that, you should be allowed to say anything you want and not be censored because that is wrong. If you're a writer and you spend all your life listening to critics and people who tell you, well, don't do that, don't write like that, you start to narrow your writing down until you get to a point where you can't write about anything. Yes. And I'd rather have the freedom to write about everything. I don't get involved with groups of people. I don't get involved with political organizations. And it's not out of disagreement with what they do. It's just that uh, if I'm a writer and I want to write about something, uh, let's say I uh, have a big commercial contract with this company that makes clothes and uh, I find out later... Uh, they're uh, employing child labor. I want to write a song about it, but I can't because I look like a big joke. Yes. And then they say, oh, well, we like this song you wrote, but could you eliminate this? Mm -hmm. Could you eliminate this? And all of a sudden, you're left with a quarter of a song, yeah. and you go, whose song is this in the first place? I forgot. I've forgotten. I've forgotten whose song is this. And that's, yeah. that's, that's you know, we, we really got off topic here, but it's not because in 78... And we're not saying that everything was great back in the late 70s because there was a lot of discrimination that we abhor against against minorities and gay people. And when people yeah. say, when people say, oh, I wish it could be like the 70s, I wish it could be like the 60s, you know what? <laughs> I'm glad for a lot of things that are happening nowadays, but people have become extremely soft, <laughs> extremely soft. People could take stuff back then. Nowadays, people can't. Yeah, take stuff. They, they had the strength of character when they heard someone say something that uh, was uh, racist or hurtful. They could uh, just say, oh, "That guy's an idiot." Yeah, exactly. Now they can't. Now they gotta say, "Oh, he has to be stopped." Don't give him the credibility. You know why? That's exactly that's a good point, Rob. Is that? And I'm not saying we're better than anybody else. As, as far as our generation or, or, or whatever. No, it's, but times it's, have changed. But times have changed. And you're right. When people said when people said bad things about you or bullied you or whatever in school, and I'm not saying that everybody did this, and I'm not saying it's right by any means, but most of the time you just said, that guy's got a problem with saying these things. <laughs> That's got nothing to do with me. You know, like he's the loser. And people yeah. do that now, but people are looking to – to find other ways and saying, well, what happens instead of me having to fight these people? Why don't we eliminate this? <laughs> and no, we shouldn't eliminate anything. We should be able to, and I, we've got to get back on topic here. We really do. Yeah. We shouldn't, once you start eliminating things, where does it end? Okay, that's yeah. I like to leave it at that. When you start that's eliminating right. things, like I say, as a songwriter, it just gets less and less you can write about until you've got nothing. Exactly. And it happening It's happening that, going to Again, I said we would move on, but I want to make this one point. It's happening with comedians. The comedians nowadays are having less and less yeah. that they are allowed. They're actually allowed. It sounds like a Nazi state, doesn't it? When it says, when you put it in the context yeah. of what they're allowed to say on in, in their stand-up routines. I would put tolerate that from Ed Sullivan, but that's, that's it. Lenny Bruce gave up his life for the and, and went to court for the last six years of his life constantly to fight for people to be able to say whatever they wanted yeah. on that little stage when they did stand-up comedy. And it seems to me that all that sacrifice he did was for nothing because we're returning to yeah. first we were first he was dealing with conservatives 
the conservative people telling him he couldn't say it. And now the comedians are dealing with the liberals telling him he can't, like comedians can't say things. So we don't stand, you know what? We don't stand on any political platform. What we're standing for is for the artist platform because we are artists. Not this show. Yeah. We're not artists on this show. <laughs> but we are musicians yeah. when we're away, away from away from these microphones doing this show. We are musicians, and there's nothing that we are more passionate about. And I know I speak yeah. for Rob because we've known each other for almost 30 years. That there's nothing that we are more passionate about than the artist having the right to create whatever he wants to, and not to be told that you can't do this and you can't say that and don't use that word because then where does it stop? <laughs> Mick Jagger had the strength of character to tell those people to go stop. Yeah, nowadays people apologize. And you know <laughs> yeah. what? Don't apologize for being creative. They apologize and then they, uh, they don't do it again. I know. Jeez. I know. we got to move on, but I know. <laughs> I know. I can't wait till someone wants me to apologize for something. Um, <laughs> man, this album. Oh, I'm just looking at the list of songs here, and it's just like, oh. It's just like knockout, 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 knockout. Give me a break. <laughs> on the, on, on the, the character singing point, um, uh, Shattered was one of my favorites. Shattered. Yeah, because you get Far Away Eyes, which again, Far Away Eyes, which starts side two, is yeah. again almost, uh, uh, we're going to give you a little bit of a break here. And I don't mean in quality, because I, no, uh, I think it's one of the best songs in the album. But as far as the the rebellious, screw you attitude, yep. is, 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 it's giving you a break, it's giving you a breather, which is why I love albums so much, because that's why albums are an art form, because it, they, they put songs in a certain way for a reason yeah. and in certain orders. And that's why, you know, streaming and stuff doesn't make sense to me as far as taking songs from albums, because albums are an art form in itself. <laughs> Now, then it goes into respectable. Ah, sorry about doing that all the time. <laughs> that must hurt the ears. But respectable. I love that. You know, uh, shooting heroin with the president. This is such a punk rock album. This is really punk rock from uh, from the Rolling Stones. It really is like shooting heroin with the president and, and sleeping with his wife. And all in like three minutes, <laughs> six <laughs> seconds. And then he's... And then he makes... Mick Jagger is singing, and in, in in a in a way that you totally believe him, you totally believe Mick Jagger in every song he's singing. That's yeah. how great his vocals are. He's singing about, oh, and you're so damn respectable. And this is coming from a bunch of millionaires coming across as snooty boys saying, screw you to the establishment, but it works. <laughs> it works in every sense of the way because I think they were mad. I think that they, they had their backs up against the wall and they said, you know what, we can play rock and roll just as good as these young guys can and watch us. Okay. So then we get my favorite song of the album. And it was it was when I listened to it, uh, before they make me run. We even tried to do that song yeah, as a band. Yeah. I remember we couldn't do it because it's it's a difficult song. Booze and pills and fun. See again, again, what great lyrics. That is cute. What great lyrics. Fantastic. You know, people, if you just wanna if you just wanna look up the lyrics of that song, because actually some girls didn't have the lyrics when it was released, and of course I don't think it has a You got an original copy, you know. I have an original copy. I have an uncensored copy. I gotta get to that in a second. Oh yeah. You know the story. But anyways, uh, just look at the lyrics because they're really good and they're really an outlaw. It's an outlaw country song almost in a rock and roll setting, you know, booze, booze yeah. and pills. And fantastic. It's saying like, you know what? You can come after me, but uh, I'm still going to do what I do. Maybe not doing yeah. drugs, but I'm still going to have the attitude I have. I you can't change my attitude. And, be, you know, be, you know, you can make me run. But you can't make me high. Oh, they make me run. <laughs> yeah. Beast <laughs> uh, of Bird. Now, Rolling Stone at the time reviewed the album, and I love Beast of Bird. I used to listen to this song all the time on the, on the AM radio when the album was released. And I just, because it has, a, again, it's one of those dual songs where it has that uh, aggressive, um, I'm not going to be your beast of burden, which is very, uh, which is very screw you. I'm not going to be your beast of burden. I always took this because Rolling Stone said this, and I do believe it's always been in my mind for 40 years when they reviewed the album, that it was about the Beatles. Like, 
the Beatles, I'm not going to be your beast of I'm not going to be second act. Now, it's probably not at all what the song is about, but because Rolling Stone planted that in my head, <laughs> I've got that image of that's what the song's about, and it actually works for me, for me personally, because every time I've listened to the song, it's probably been about a thousand times, I think of that. And then it goes into this real beautiful, to me, beautiful uh, change in uh, where it goes, Am I, are you rough enough? Are you tough enough? I find that beautiful. Now, it might not be beautiful to some people, but just the juxtaposition from the hard edge to this incredible vocals, harmony vocals, plus the singing where he's going, I'll be a beast of burden. And he goes, you can almost feel the emotion of, of him being alone or saying, wait a minute, are you rough enough? Are you tough? Like it's almost pleading. How can you do that within a song? My God. I mean, I have it successful. And I also, you know, I just took that as like, you know, we're rough enough. We're tough enough to be. I shouldn't compare it because I don't think that this about the Beatles. But it's such a pleading lyric. And it's such a saying, like, we're just as good as anybody. Like, give us a break. You know what? But it's not meant in a, it's not meant like the first half of the song where they're dictating it to you. Mick Jagger is pleading with you. That's the beauty of this, yeah. of this album. And almost every, every song. Thing. Yeah. And then it ends with, with the song that should never be a hit single, <laughs> but was played all the time as a hit single, which is Shatter. Shatter. Uh, <laughs> first of all, when I listen to this, when I listened to this, I thought this is a great ending for an album. It ain't no single. I don't know if they're going to release this as a single if they are <laughs> stupid. That's how much I know. But I knew it was a great ending for uh, an album. And again, the Mick Jagger talk talk. I totally believe him when he does. When he does. I believe him. Here's this again. Here's this, this million dollar English aristocrat. And I believe him when he's singing this stuff on this album. I believe him 100%. And I still do when I hear these songs when I listen to this album. I mean, you can identify the by listening to this album. If you didn't know about the Stones, you can identify, okay, this is the same guy singing all these songs, but uh, something's not right about this. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. So, geez, uh, you know, I thought we had... <laughs> I'm sorry, but Uptown Mike just showed us... Uptown, you are... No, I'll save that language. I didn't me. think that we had enough time because we mm -hmm. ran through the stuff that I had planned, and here we're running out of time. So we're having, <laughs> and I had a couple of things to say really quick. I know Rob wants me to tell the story. I oh, yeah. bought this album. I bought this album in '78 with the uncensored cover. The album was so huge that my brother bought the album, <laughs> and then at Christmas time, uh, we had at, at elementary school. We had maybe not elementary school. We had seven, uh, grade seven. Grade seven. I can't remember. I can't remember. Santa, but we had uh, Secret right. Santa, and I got I got it from a Secret Santa. I got the Some Girls album. I got three Some Girls albums in one year in my household. <laughs> That's how big of an album. It wasn't one of those big albums like Saturday Night Fever. I don't want to. I, it, it wasn't like that. But it was still, as far as rock and roll was concerned, a huge album that almost that yeah, almost that, everybody had in their house. I mean, you could think for a while, okay, the Rolling Stones they had a good run for about uh, seven, eight years, ten years maybe, but they're washed up. No, no, <laughs> they were not exactly. washed up at all. They like kicked those That's people a great in the face. Point. That's a great point. That's a good point to end it on. It's, I wanted to talk, but we ran out of time. I didn't think we were going to run out of time. It's my fault. But <laughs> I wanted to talk about the CD version of the album compared to the LP version. And maybe when I talk about remastering, which I'm going to do in a couple of episodes, uh, I will bring that up. We can't, because we can't avoid it. All I, we, can't, we can't avoid <laughs> we, it. We have too much anger over it is, It is the elephant in the room. <laughs> but please, if you have never listened to this album, Pick up the vinyl edition uh, and pick up the vinyl edition that's released before CDs. And oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's all I'm going to say about because we, we are going to talk about this at length. But I'm telling you, it is totally radically different, the, the sonic experience. And uh, that's all I want to say about it. Five-star record, classic yeah. album, one of my favorite albums of all time. I loved it. My mom loved it. <laughs> the hens loved it. 
<laughs> I loved it because my mom did love it. <laughs> no, this would not be a, an album that either your mom or the hens would find particularly but satisfying. When the whip comes down, I, what do you mean? Is that like the Almond Brothers? Is that any metaphor? Yeah. No, it's it's a, they're being whipped. It's literal. <laughs> you know, it's funny. We could still talk about this album for another half an hour. But we're out of time. So uh, we will see you next week. And uh, Next week is going to be wrong. Next week will be another rockin' episode because you know what? Every week's a rockin'. Okay. Hey, everybody. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.